Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Today's episode is titled, Your Career Path? Own it. In today's episode, we talk to Leo Soto from Boeing Engineering. He brings forth so many pieces of valuable information and advice. We talk about his early beginnings, how he decided to move from community college over to Rutgers University, how that path came about, what he did, how he decided to go from a technical degree to a full-on mechanical engineering degree. We definitely learn a lot from Leo, and Leo shares so many pieces of valuable information, and he shares more than that because he shares the valuable information about being part of a student organization, and we will find out. Welcome, welcome Leo Soto to Success Invasion. Thank you. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Success Invasion. Thank you to the audience. I am so happy today to bring you Leo Soto. And today this is an audio as well as a video, so you can find it in the YouTube channel as well as the Anchor.fm podcast. So I'm going to introduce Leo, Leo Soto. Leo has uh, 10 years of professional engineering experience and is currently working at Boeing for the Space Vehicle Design Responsible Engineering Authority, also known as the REA team. He is also the Region 2 Vice President for the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. And I want to welcome Leo, Leo Soto, to Success Innovation. Welcome, Leo. How are you today? Hi, Rosado. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm doing wonderful today. Sure. I look forward to a great interview with you today. Thank you for agreeing to do this interview with me. Thank you so much. So let me ask you to go ahead and give us a little short bio of who you are and your early beginnings in engineering, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Well, my name is Leo Soto. I am born and raised in the great state of New Jersey, uh, where I um, a child of two immigrant parents who came to uh, the country to look for a better uh, life for myself and the family. And lo and behold, a few years into that journey, I ended up going to community college where I, that's where I discovered that I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, from then on, I transferred over to Rutgers University, which is the State University of New Jersey. And there I officially declared my majors mechanical and aerospace engineering. Okay. And over the years, I was able to get involved with SHIP. SHIP was the organization that introduced me to various different companies. And I was able to obtain an internship with Boeing. And upon graduation in 2009, I packed my things and moved out to Los Angeles for a job at Boeing, right. uh, where I currently still work uh, to this present day, with a break in between as well. But to this day, I hold the title of a Space Vehicle Design, REA, which is Responsible Engineering Authority. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that you are from New Jersey, and you mentioned that your parents are immigrants, but what, what country are they from? Uh, my mother is from El Salvador. My okay. father's from Guatemala. Okay, fantastic. And you were born in New Jersey or somewhere else, and then they and then they kind of migrated to New Jersey. I was born and raised in New Jersey. Okay, all right. So, so you you've always been an East Coast. Okay. <laughs> That's correct. That's just I'm just trying to clarify it so that I know for the audience that watches wherever they are uh, that you're from the East Coast, and that was your early childhood and upbringing. So. Okay. You mentioned that you went to community college, and from there, that's where you kind of decided or you found 
engineering to be a path that you wanted to pursue. Can you drive us through that, walk us through that particular event with a community college and, and, and experience that you had? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was graduating high school, uh, myself and my group of friends, we just had no idea what we were going to do with our lives. So the only thing that made sense, hey, let's just do community college, because there was one thing about my parents was that I'm going to go to school no matter what. But I have no idea what I want to do. Engineering was kind of an idea, but it wasn't something that I was too, okay, this is exactly what I wanted to do. So I'm just going to go to community college and figure things out. Uh, I started taking classes for the whole year, and I was taking it under the, under the major engineering technologies. Which in short would have put me once it would have put me in an employment uh, path once I obtained my associate's degree. So it had just been a two-year um, curriculum at the community college, and then boom, I would have been working as some kind of technician out in the engineering field. Uh, along that journey, I had a professor, it was my physics professor, who just straight told me, "Leo, you should look into being a full engineer because this is uh, this is the route you want to be in." You're smart enough to do it, and you'll make a lot more of a better living pursuing this path. Okay. okay. I just said, okay, sure. I changed up my major, and it took me an extra year in community college to do so. So I spent, okay. it up, spent it three years in community college in that pursuit. But upon completing it, it took me three years, and then that's when I was able to transfer over to Rutgers University as a mechanical engineer. And in that journey, it took me another three years. So it took me six years total to complete this uh, degree for me. But you know what? You made it. You completed it. You've, you've been successful at it. And then when you're, when you're in community college and this teacher, professor, you know, reaches out to you and says, hey, you know, go ahead and pursue a full-on mechanical engineering career. Why did you, first of all, from your perspective, why did you choose mechanical engineer as opposed to electrical, computer science, aerospace, all the other engineering? Why did you decide to pursue mechanical? And on top of that, was there any other student organization that you kind of belonged to and other than what the advice from this professor came from to you? Mm -hmm. Uh, so the reason I chose mechanical engineering was just because I was always into cars. So in my mind, I was going to become a mechanical engineer just to be able to work on cars, to work in the automotive industry, design the next new car that I'll be able to drive, that everybody's going to drive. Cars was my thing. It was my idea that that's the path I was going to get into once I got my degree, once I became an engineer. And when I was in community college, I actually wasn't involved at all. Uh, community colleges in Jersey are just very commuter-based, so you go in, go to class, and you go home. Mm -hmm. um, there's not much to do there, not heavily student-involved, so again, you're going to class and you're going home. And that's a kind of how I pursue that uh, path. Mm -hmm. What got me involved in organizations was when I transferred over to Rutgers. I was sitting in class, in my linear algebra class, and somebody just comes up to me. I had a t-shirt on, said El Salvador on it. He comes up to me, hey, are you from El Salvador? I'm from there. Starts a conversation with me, and there's a friend who tells me, hey, we've got this group called Society of Spanish Professional Engineers. We get together every week, and this is what we do. We talk about A, B, and C. We get together. We play soccer. We play basketball. Come check us out. Okay. I went to go check it out, and lo and behold, I, I got involved right away. And this was in 2006, so I've been okay. involved with SHIP for 
uh, 14 plus years almost. 14 years. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, so you transfer over from the community college over to Rutgers. How was that transition for you? It was difficult. Okay. Um, so my community college was maybe all but a 10 minute commute from where I was, uh, where I live. Now going over to Rutgers now, all of a sudden, I'm still commuting at this time and trying to work full time while commuting from home, which is about an hour and a half journey just to get from home to get to class. Okay. On top of which, now this is my first time in a huge university space. I, I have classrooms of like 200 plus people in a huge lecture hall. I'm kind of lost. I don't know anybody because I transferred on my own again. A lot of my friends at community college were still kind of behind by a semester or two. And so it became a very scary thing. Like I was kind of stepping into the unknown. And also obviously taking so much time working and commuting, it affected my grades because I couldn't study properly. So okay. my first semester was a rough start for me getting into okay. State University. Okay, so when you're going through the through the rough start and you're, you know, you transferred over, you're taking the courses that you need to for engineering, you mentioned that a person saw you wearing a shirt from El Salvador and they approached you and said, hey, uh, I want to present to you this opportunity with this student organization and they explained to you what it was. Were you looking for a student organization? You probably didn't have any idea because coming from community college, you had no idea what that meant. What actually hooked you and interested you off of that conversation to attend the meeting? Because obviously you go and you meet and you see different people, different student organizations, and all of a sudden this one just happens to be presented to you by somebody walking up to you and extending the invitation. What hooked you and how did you get involved with SHIP after that first meeting? Oh, well, what, you know, what interested me was just the fact that, hey, I get to meet other people from Rutgers. I, you know, again, this is, I'm brand new to this university, to this campus, and I just wanted to meet people and make friends because you know, I don't know anybody here. So let me go out of my way and just, you know, check this organization out and see what it's about. You know, he told me it was Society of Hispanic Professionals, and I was like, okay, there's other people who look like, like me that are going to be here. Let's go find out what this is all about. When I got in, I got drawn immediately just by they welcomed me and embraced me as if they'd known me for years, as if I were already family part of that group. Like, hey, how's it going? You know, there was obviously as a college student, there was free food, so that just enticed me a little more to get there. Right. But then they spoke about the different opportunities. A lot of them were talking about, hey, we got internships through this um, organization. We learned how to write resumes in this organization. And I've never done any of this. I'm a 21-year-old at this time. I've never wrote a resume. I didn't own a suit. I had no idea how to do an actual structured interview for an engineering career. And they were telling me, hey, we're going to be able to do all this, to teach it, do all this. You know, there's going to be lots of opportunities to talk to all these different companies. And you know what? That drew me in because it's an organization that they're telling you we're going to help you do A, B, and C, but it's student-run. It's a bunch of people who are just doing this because we want to be able to give back. So that just drew me in right away. It was a bit of the seeing the potential of how much I could grow along with the social element of it because now I'm hanging out with a bunch of people who are just embracing me as friends and you know they became good friends of mine right away. So once, once you start getting to know people, you're networking with them and you start seeing them in other classes and you start hanging out with them, 
you start forming the study groups with those individuals that are part of that organization. Then you start attending the outreach events that they probably organize. How long was it before you actually decided to become a board member of that organization within Rutgers, Rutgers University? You know, so when I got involved and went to that first meeting, I just became an active member. I was helping out in any which way capacity I could, whether it was attending some meetings, um, joining a part of a committee. I was just being an active member for that year because they have their elections once a year. So I wasn't able to join on board that first year. However, my second year is when I decided, hey, you know what? It's about time I run for a position. I ended up being what's called the, the Engineering Governing Council representative for our chapter. And what that is, you know, our school has a governing council that oversees a lot all the other student organizations, and each organization has to have a representative to represent them during these meetings. So that's what I did. I was able to do that for my first year, and then that involvement just led to more networking because from there I was able to meet student leadership from different organizations from all over the campus. And then from there I just proceeded on to my final year at Rutgers University where I became the president of the chapter there for Rutgers University. Okay, so did you end up doing three years at Rutgers University then? You did? Yes, I did. Three years at okay, Community okay. College, three years at Rutgers. Okay, fantastic. So uh, when you're going through the, uh, you know, the course curriculum at Rutgers, at what point did you say, okay, I got to start looking for an internship? Now that you have the student organization presented this to you and you're saying, okay, I got to start following and doing a um, an internship sorry, an internship to go ahead and get job experience. How did that go for you? And at what point did you start? Second year, third year? Uh, yeah, I started kind of almost right that pursuit of that internship. I started it once I joined the ship chapter in my first year at Rutgers University, which is my fourth year of school, around, uh, estimatedly. Um, I began again, these workshops week by week were going on with ship and then it was always some kind of professional or leadership development topic they were talking about, whether it was career fair etiquette, resume writing, uh, uh, preparation for the SHIP conference, different topics like that. So I began my pursuit of looking for an internship at that moment. Okay. My first year went by and I actually was, I wasn't successful in obtaining an internship after my first year at Rutgers University. Um, I kept, uh, there was two factors in that. Again, I was brand new in terms of the internship search but also again I struggled in my first uh, semester at Rutgers so my GPA took a little took a heavy hit so I was unable to really put up together a well enough resume that you know that made recruiters want to go hey we want to bring you on board uh, my second year at Rutgers again I became more involved in as board officer of partnership I was able to expand my leadership capabilities and then also I was able to get my grades together after knowing the do's and don'ts and all the lessons learned hey I had to do certain things differently. And then that second year in my Rutgers University, we attended the SHIP conference. This year it was at Philadelphia. And I was able to land an interview with Boeing at that conference. And boom, I got the offer out there at that convention. So that was my first internship at Boeing. So was that your first uh, national conference for SHIP? And for the audience, uh, SHIP, Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, has a national conference an annual conference where that's extended invitation to all chapters, all members to attend. 
to participate in different workshops and they also have a job here. Now there's other, there's the NILA, which is the leadership one that shows you how to do uh, leadership conferences and there's workshops for leaders. And then there's the regional one, which is mainly targeting the small regions, region one, two, three, all the way to seven at this point. And all those chapters will get together in a more regional format but that doesn't mean that anybody from the outside can also go if you want to attend. But for the national one, it's uh, you're extending an invitation for a national attendance. Now, the question to Leo is, was that your first uh, attendance to a conference, to a national conference on your second year as a board member, or did you go the first year? Okay, so that was my first conference nationally. I did attend a regional one the year before, but that was my first time getting exposed to the national conference. So okay. I've been to conferences before, I knew how to work it, this one just was just a larger scale. When you got to the first one, and I want you to go back to that first conference moment. When you're all excited, you're 100% adrenaline pumping, you got your suit, your tie on, because you're a professional. You're trying you know you're shooting for being dressed to impress type of scenario right and you're going there what's rushing through your mind when you walk in and you see a sea an ocean of latino individuals in one locale oh man that first experience it's 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 so very surprising you're kind of overwhelmed and you're happy at the same time along with being nervous you're overwhelmed because i never knew that there was so many thousands of latino engineers just out there or studying to become one. you know you get all this um uh you hear all the statistics on the number of representation of latinos in stem is always very low but here you walk into this convention center and there's thousands of us that are just here today but then it just opens your mind up to say hey wait there has to be thousands more out there um, you're nervous because this is your first conference. Like, what do I do? How do I present myself? How do I talk? It's my first time in this being exposed to something like this. So there is a bit of nerve that you kind of have to settle in. Like, hey, you know what? I may not know what I'm doing, but hey, I'm just going to have to, you know, bite down and be able to just go forward and, you know, make the best of it. Right, for sure. So you go in there, you go through the whole conference, and all of a sudden, you know, you go to the career fair, and you interview with X and Y and Z companies. And Lord, hold and behold, you got an internship with Boeing. How did that make you feel when you got the letter or when you got the email or you got the call saying, hey, you know, you've made it. Welcome to Boeing. You know, I was excited, uh, you know, after the interview, it was a bit of a process, right? The first thing they did was give me a pre-screen, which was just talking to 10, 15 minutes as one of the engineers that are there. Then they tell you, hey, we want to give you an interview slot tomorrow. Okay, they give me the interview slot. I go to attend the interview, and there are, there's two people interviewing me. They're taking notes, and at the end of it, they're just there, Leo, you really impressed us. We want to uh, extend an offer to you. And they give you um, not the official offer letter, but it's a letter of intent. So mm -hmm. just saying you're committed to saying, yes, I'm interested in working for you guys. And you're just signing a piece of paper saying it's okay for them to start the official paperwork. So, okay. 
I get out of there. They gave me that letter of intent. I'm running like back to my friends to tell them. But on the way, the first thing I do is call my mom. Like, hey, mom, guess what? Uh, I'm going to be going to L.A. for the summer because they offered me this thing and I'm going to take it. So, yeah, I was extremely excited. And I get off the phone with my mom and then I find my Rutgers friends who are scattered all over the place at this point. But I find like two or three of them like, guys, guys, I got this thing with Boeing. Like, oh, man, oh, my God. Um, I was just excited. It's an overwhelming right. feeling. And it's like, wow, like I got something, you know. And just for the audience, you know, the conference, the national conference takes place sometime at the end of October, early November is for about three or four days. And so yes. the internship takes place in May or June of the following calendar year. So you're what, like seven months ahead of time. You already landed an internship for the next calendar year. Uh -huh. So you're over in the East Coast. And this is why I asked you at the very beginning if you've always grown and lived in the East Coast. Because you're now coming to the West Coast, which <laughs> is across the country. Now, how did you, what was your expectation? What did you feel when you actually <laughs> flew like 5,000 miles <laughs> over? <laughs> And when you landed in L.A., Los Angeles, California, what was that like? Can you kind of run us through that experience from the East Coast point of view to the West Coast experience? Um, and it was a lot to take in for sure. Right. When I first came out, I was just imagining, you know what, I am going to be working, but it's going to be a vacation, if anything, because I'll be there just for the summer, and I know I'm coming back home. So when I land, obviously... I have no idea what to expect other than what I've known about California on TV. And right. television never paints a great picture of any location. You get the, the basic stereotypes. I'm here thinking that it's a 100% beach life, that everybody's just out here surfing all the time. And, you know, that, that's just my imagination. And right, when I yeah. pack my stuff to get over here, I didn't pack any winter clothing because in my mind, I'm going to be in shorts and a t-shirt all day and at the beach all the time. And, you know, when I get out here, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a culture shock in two different realms. It was my first time ever working in like a corporate setting. So it was something to get used to. I have never been around that. So that was one thing to get used to. And the second thing was just the environment overall. The, the vibe in Los Angeles is completely different than the vibe in the East Coast. And just the environment overall and the diversity is also very different from East Coast to West Coast. One thing people don't realize, like, although, yes, I did grow up in a very minority uh, community, but the two different kinds of, like, we say Latinos are vastly different from East Coast to West Coast, from one nationality to the other. So it's very beautiful to take it all in. It's just something that I have to get used to and learn and understand and appreciate. Okay. So you said that it's a big culture shock, you know, East Coast versus West Coast. And now you're going into the professional realm and you go through your internship and you're meeting new people and you're doing all the motions. You're trying to impress your new supervisors, your new bosses. When you finish that internship, was there an extended opportunity from Boeing to continue for next year? Uh, what was the what was the talk between you and the supervisors or it was a one-time thing that was it 
you go back to Rutgers, and then you got to look for something else. That's an interesting question, and I'm going to have to be uh, here to tell a candid story because sure. this was internship was in 2008. And for those who are unaware, in 2008 is when we hit a very hard economic time. People were losing jobs. Uh, we were in a bit of a recession at that time. So when I finished my internship, they were not giving any full-time offers to their interns at that time. Yeah. And again, because they had a hiring freeze going on, so they were not allowed to bring in any full-time people. So when I finished my internship, they placed me on a leave of absence, which is, with, which is what they do with a lot of their interns, just to leave the door open for them to come back. Okay. When I went back to school, I was, again, I went back to school under the impression that I did not yet have a guaranteed offer. So I just went about my regular business in terms of continuing going to class, continuing looking for that full-time employment. I continued looking for that full-time employment throughout the year, and I did get an offer with uh, two different companies, one in New Jersey and one in Pennsylvania. Okay. However, they were both with companies that I did not want to work for or in positions that I did not want to do because they weren't mechanical engineering positions. There was an opportunity that presented itself to come back to Boeing here in Los Angeles, but it was for an internship opportunity. I kind of, in weighing out my options, I decided, you know what, this is going to be more of what I want to do. And should things not work out, then I'll just find my way back to New Jersey to be back home and figure things out later. So I kind of rolled the dice a little bit, took a gamble and came out um, in 2009 to LA for an internship with going after I graduated. However, I was able to extend that internship almost a year. And in 2010 is when Boeing officially gave me uh, a full-time opportunity because at that point the hiring freeze was over and they were able to bring me in. So it took me a one full year of being an intern to be able to stay on board as a full-time employee. So once you became a full-time employee at Boeing, uh, I know that there's there's uh, also a gap or where you actually left over and worked over at Raytheon. Was that, how did that happen? And was that a better jump for you? And I'm trying to expose this for the audience because, you know, once you get into a job position, maybe things happen, things change, an opportunity shows up through your network. You connect with somebody that says, hey, you know, I have this opportunity for you. Once you try it out and then you apply and you get the position. And then, you know, you left for Raytheon, but you ultimately came back to Boeing after a couple of years. So can you walk us through that process as well? Absolutely. When I was at Boeing the first time around, my first stint, I was there for six years. Okay. In that six years, I was a structural design engineer. I transitioned over later to what's called a mechanical liaison engineer, which is kind of in the satellite industry, that's a, it's a manufacturing engineer. Okay. During that time, um, you know, companies go up and down, have their fluctuations in terms of, of, you know, work that they have available. There was a certain moment where work was getting pretty low. I ended up transferring to another site at Boeing, uh, Boeing Military Aircraft, where I got to work on the C-17, mm. where I was a design and analysis engineer. During that time, I'll just have to be completely blunt, the job wasn't exactly the most exciting job I ever had. So at that moment, I decided, you know what, let me just look for other opportunities that are out there, just to at least see, because right now, I don't feel very challenged in what I'm doing. Uh, during that time, I interviewed with different companies, and I do want to make one note that at that moment, I had intended that I do want to stay in the Southern California area. 
Okay. I did open my window a little bit to wanting to move back to New Jersey just because I was born and raised there. But since I already had pressed that reset button, picked up everything and moved to a different location, I didn't want to do that again at that time. Right. So upon looking for different opportunities, I interviewed with several companies. I ended up having two offers. One of the offers was with Raytheon. And when I evaluated the offer, I just simply said, this is the best one. And this is the best for my career in terms of what I want to do at that moment. So I took the offer. I started with Raytheon. I'm with Raytheon for three years. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy at Raytheon. You know, I work with a great team. Um, however, you know, I just decided, you know what? The work is starting to get a little stagnant. Let me look for another opportunity. But I do want to know, I was looking for opportunities within Raytheon. Because my intent was, let me stay with this company for however long I can. And just by a stroke of luck, I happened to be outside in the social setting and I bump into a couple of old coworkers and they just, hey, Leo, we're hiring. Uh, we'd like to bring you back. And, you know, I kind of just sat there. You know what? Let's talk. Let's leave the conversation open. I'm not going to commit to anything because, you know, I'm happy with where I am. So let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. A few days later, hey, we have this great position available for you. You should check it out. Get out. So, so I checked it out, applied for it, did the whole interview process. And after the whole thing, they did, they extended an offer for me. And when I look at the whole thing in terms of, hey, what's the opportunity here? What is it that I want to be doing? You know, it was just, I couldn't say no to it. It was the right move at the right time. So, hey, lo and behold, I came back to Boeing and I've been back at Boeing now just about a year and a half now. Congratulations. And I wanted to bring that story afloat because I want to have the audience hear it and understand that, hey, you know, moving around is not bad. Doing things that are good for you as an individual, you know, however they fall out, they pan out. But you also have to be considerate of whatever the outcome is, you're going to have to live with it. So whatever you decide to do is going to be your responsibility. Another thing that you pointed that I think is very, very key. You know, you're coming from the East Coast and you're living here, you're working here for six or seven years now uh, at that point in time when this happened. And you decided, you made the conscious decision to say, I do not necessarily want to go back or leave the Southern California area. And I want the audience who's listening, you have to make that conscious decision of whether you want to live somewhere else, if you're willing to move. You have to consider your your current situation. If you have family, if you if family is very important to you, and this is where you want to live, or if the weather is something that you want to consider, or whatever the position is that you're going to, whether the the home base location is going to be permanent, or if you're going to be traveling as part of your job, then you have to take that into consideration. It's not just uh, something as easy as to pick up and leave. And also, if you find yourself applying and applying and applying and applying at the same general location and you don't find any jobs then you know open yourself up to possibly moving to other locations where maybe your 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 skills are better suited for and you might find better opportunities so congratulations on that leo so uh you've been with the uh with the rea group what exactly is the rea group and what do you do there all right so in the in the satellite world um, the satellite is composed of various different subsystems. Uh, the subsystem that I get to work on is a structure subsystem. What that is, is just, you just think about the inner framework of a car. You think you strip away 
the exterior and you get it and you see all the metal frames inside that hold that car together, that's the equivalent of what I do on a satellite. So in, in short, that's what my, um, my group does. The REA is a responsible engineering authority, which is just the technical lead of the, of the structure subsystem. There's different REAs for different subsystems. I happen to be the lead for the structure subsystem. When I got hired on, that was my uh, job. So again, that's exactly what I was doing. As I, trend, as I continued at Boeing, I got transitioned over to what's called an IPT lead, which is the satellite terminology for a project manager. That's what I'm doing now. I'm a project manager, but again, on the structured subsystem. And this position, you can imagine, is exactly what it sounds like as a project manager. You're taking care of schedule, cost, financial needs. You're making sure that this product is being made at the most economic value because in the satellite industry, things can run up a bill very easily. So you want to be able to make sure that, hey, we follow all our dollar signs and we're meeting our schedule because we all know time is money and that couldn't be more true in the satellite industry. Okay, fantastic. So um, does that mean that most of the contracts are part of the DOD? Are you most involved in NASA? Or is it the private sector that's paying for this type of satellite work that you're doing? And I don't want you to go into any details. I just want to kind of get the audience to understand where the funding is coming from, because you mentioned the dollar racking. Yeah, so uh, great question. The money actually comes from two sides. Uh, we have projects for the government and we have projects in the commercial industry as well. So the, the, it comes from both sides. Okay. And uh, with that being said, now that you're a project manager, you're not necessarily doing the design work all the time or the technical portion, but you're overseeing some of that. And you're also looking at, you know, cost and, and uh, asset allocation and whatnot. So you're kind of managing, uh, managing the entire project. What is the most enjoyable, enjoyable part of your job at this point? At this point, it's easily all the people you get to interact with. When you're overseeing that subsystem, you have to engage with people, your entire team on that subsystem and with the other leads from the other subsystems and then also reporting it up because at the end of the day, they're looking at you and no matter what happens, they're going to look at you saying, hey, Leo, how's project, how's the process on A, B, and C going. Hey, D, E, and F are running a little behind. How, what's the problem there, Leo? What are you doing to resolve that problem, Leo? So they're looking at you as the person of the knowledge of that entire subsystem. So you have to stay on top of everything, making sure that you know everything that's going on, you know any issue that's going on, and you can also foresee any potential issue that can happen on this project. So with that being said, I want the audience to also understand that, you know, Leo is a technical background. He started as an engineer, mechanical engineer. Now he's doing project management. But that means that to a certain extent, he's left the technical aspect, not entirely, because he still has to know what's going on, how everything is being doing. But he also has to be more on top of his presentation skills, the analytical, the logistical, and all of that. And I want the audience to hear from Leo how that decision came about, whether he's happy, and if that is truly appealing to him, leaving the technical side, because as an engineer, you can devote your life to being completely technical all the time in a job role, 
or you can make that jump to being more of the business aspect with a technology liaison type of role, which is the project management. But with Leo, the path that he's taking, he's kind of pursuing more of an executive type of role, managerial type of role. So Leo, can you kind of share with us if you're happy with this decision and if you see Leo with uh, pursuing that managerial role further or deciding to go back into the technical role? All right, a great question. Uh, so everybody is aware, there was a good point that was made there that, you know, when you join one role as a project manager or into management in general, you do kind of leave a, a lot of that technical work behind, a little bit, not too much. I do want to note that with uh, the aerospace industry, they do have two trajectories you to go into. One is you can follow a purely technical role in your career, or you want to pursue the managerial route. However, no matter which route you choose, the foundation for either which direction you take is always going to be a technical route. Mm -hmm. No matter if you want to be a manager in your career, you need to have that technical foundation to be able to excel as a manager, as a leader. So your first few years in your career, you're going to be purely technical so you can get the understanding of what it is that needs to be done so you can be able to lead that team. In my mindset, very early on in my career, I knew that I'm a people person. I enjoy working with people more. I want to interact. I want to engage with people. I, I, I'm very capable of leading a team. So I knew I wanted to pursue the managerial route. So this project management route that I'm taking is just a stepping stone to be able to achieve that manager route that I want to continue pursuing. If anything, I'm using this opportunity as a learning experience because one thing that's very true in industry, you might have this, your heart set, this is the route I want to take, but the very second you try it, you can just sit there and go, wait, this isn't what I thought it was. I might have to reevaluate and think this right. over. Yes. So if anything, this is a trial run in terms of, do I really enjoy this? Is this what I want to do for my career? And if so, I'm going to continue that pursuit. If not, I might have to reevaluate. Right now that I'm doing it, I have to say that I am enjoying it because, again, you don't leave the technical Because, again, in the satellite industry, things are always evolving. There's new concepts, new designs, new studies that are always happening, and you have to stay on top of it. You may not be into the very day-to-day -day of the technical stuff, but you have to be up-to-date with the knowledge that's going on with that material, with that content. So at the moment, you stay engaged with that technical side, but now you're also more on the schedule and the managerial side of things. And again, you get to evolve more as a leader and pursue that managerial route, which is what I want to do. So yes, I'm looking to pursue that manager route because that's what I realized much earlier on that that's what I wanted to Thank you for that. Thank you for clarifying that because I want the audience and the listeners to to you know to understand that you do have to evaluate whether you want to become an engineer because you fully want to be a technical person or if you're pursuing kind of like a managerial position in the later in the later uh, career point of your life. So thank you for clarifying that for us there, Leo. Um, I you also been involved with Ship for a few years, so you're coming from the East Coast, you were part of the Rogers ship chapter as a student-based chapter. All of a sudden, you're in California. What happens and how did that uh, participation role in SHIP and the student organization at Rogers transfer over into both? Uh, SHIP at local chapters, you know, professional chapter in, in larger LA 
in the larger LA area, and also within the Boeing admin or organization, because for the audience, if you don't know, all the organizations, be it uh, you know all the industry type, for the most part, have something that's been called the Employee Resource Group or Affinity Group. It's an ERG for short, and it's an Affinity Group. So. I want Leo to tell us how that came about, if he continued uh, pursuing that in the outside and also within Boeing. Yeah, absolutely. When I uh, first moved out to LA, actually it took me about a year or two to get settled in. So I took a little bit of a break along the way. At Boeing, they had their affinity group called, at that time it was called the Boeing Hispanic Employees Network. I happened to stroll into one of their meetings, and I think it was a meeting for the Hispanic Heritage Month that I happened to see the science for. I walk in, I meet some of the people that are there, and I just, okay, you know what? I want to get involved. Let me know how I can help. I began, I started as their director of outreach because that's just more what I have, uh, my heart is more set on versus anything else. In this director role, I was just in charge of the various outreach initiatives we did, whether it was at a university, high school, et cetera, whatever it is we did. In that role, I ended up re we ended up visiting the ship chapter at USC, University of Southern California. They were looking to collaborate with us. So we went out, we met them, we ended up uh, helping them with one of their events. And there, in that whole time, I meet a couple of those engineers and student leadership who are there at the ship USC chapter. Eventually, they graduated and, you know, they all entered the industry. And as they're in the industry, they happen to reach out to me again, like, hey, Leo, we have a lack of a strong professional presence right now in the Los Angeles area, and we want to do something here. We want to be able to start a strong professional chapter to be able to provide for the various student university chapters that we have here. Okay, let's go ahead and do it. And this was in around 2013, 2012 timeframe. So we start the chapter, and the chapter today is what's a South Bay Los Angeles professional chapter for a ship. Uh, I was president for the first uh, term for the found, founding of the chapter, and you know that's what kind of got me reinvolved now with SHIP because I had been involved with the Boeing Resource Group prior to that. So that started my re-engagement with SHIP, and the main reason again was to provide for the students. Students are always looking for people, for professionals, for Hispanic, Latino professionals to show up and say, hey, we can offer these workshops, we can offer these volunteers for different panels. We can provide a professional presence for all of these local university chapters in the Los Angeles area. Right. So you're you're in the professional ship chapter of the South Bay LA area, but you're also involved within Boeing with the Hispanic chapter there. How did the corporation industry view that involvement of volunteering participation both outside and inside how did that transmit over to your work just you know share with us the audience because your your job within boeing is to make the projects function well and that's your first priority the right. other stuff is something that you do on the side you do it after work you do it within your lunch hour but it's not necessarily paid so how did that you know, affect or, or how did you finagle that and how was that viewed by your managers at that point? All right. You know, one thing about these companies is that they, there's a reason they have these organizations, these affinity groups. These affinity groups enable them to reach out to different demographics and to different outside organizations. 
So for instance, Boeing is a very involved organization with various other technical groups, especially SHIP, SWE, NSBE, a lot of these other exterior organizations, and they need involvement for, of their own employee base to be able to reach out to these other organizations. So they look at this as a prime opportunity for themselves to have their own employees willfully wanting to engage with these other organizations because it helps them and helps recruit talent to the company as well. They shine a light on the, these type of organizations. They love that their employees are heavily involved because it helps them look for talent. It gives them an extended leverage for their talent acquisition teams to just say, hey, we want to go to this school and this school. What leverage do we have in terms of being able to expand our reach to recruit the best talent? Oh, we're going to reach out to this organization. We're going to reach out to that organization. And before you know it, you're, they're really bringing in talent because of, of the involvement that the current employees have. Uh, for yourself, the involvement that you get, it's one thing I always make a note. A lot of times people, especially students, are involved in shit because they get to grow as a professional. They get to grow as a leader. But as professionals, we forget that, hey, just because we got our career, we're an entry level, you know, we also need leadership and professional development along the way. And I think a lot of times we forget that. And as a professional, you need that. So staying involved in an organization like SHIP, you know, you get a lot of that exposure to that leadership and professional development. Yes. development. And one of the key things I'll always say is also the network. You get to yeah, always... True expand your network, whether it's within Boeing or just in SHIP in general, since right. it's such a large organization, you meet engineers from all over the country and all different kinds of industry, and you never know when that network is going to really pay off. And I can tell you in my career, it really has helped just for something as simple as having a mentor to be there and just help guide me and answer questions for me along the way. It really does help staying involved as a professional. So now that you mentioned, you know, you mentioned mentorship, you mentioned leadership, you mentioned the network. You hinted at a couple of my questions. So off of that, do you have any mentors that you've actually acquired that you still work with from this path that you followed? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there's two mentors that I have. Actually, one is from Boeing and one is from Raytheon. Not just because I work with them, but I guess it just happens to be the relationship I developed with them. But I, would, I do want to note that a lot of people think mentorship has to be something extremely formal, like you need to have a schedule set and an agenda out there. Like, no, a mentorship is just something, it's a friendship, but it's also something you can utilize when you want to seek guidance in terms of, hey, I just want to run a few things by you. I have A, B, and C in my thought process, and I want to ask you about it. If you have a few minutes. And you just ask those questions and you're asking that person the questions based on their experience and their best knowledge. One of the things you got to think about is always, you know, you have students that run up to you asking you questions and you're able to answer them based on your experience. But now who has the 10 years of experience as being a professional? Well, a lot of these more experienced engineers and professionals have that experience. So now let me ask them for that. So in the same way that a student needs that mentorship, Professionals need that mentorship and guidance just as much. That is true. That is true. That is correct. Uh, can you share with uh, with me and the audience one example of mentorship advice that you hold to heart up to this point? Can you repeat that? You cut off a little bit. Okay. So I was asking if you can share with me and the audience one piece of example of uh, mentorship advice that you've received over the 
over the years with that uh, relationship that you have with those mentors? Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the key ones was when I was transitioning first from Boeing to Raytheon, and then when I went Raytheon back to Boeing. One of my mentors from Boeing, I had spoke to him about the opportunity with Raytheon at first. You know, this guy, my mentor at Boeing, he was an executive at Boeing. And so I wanted to run by him because, you know, there was always a thing that he was with Boeing his entire career. And so I wanted to run by him like, hey, I have this opportunity. Um, I really don't want to leave Boeing, but here's the reasons why I'm considering it. You know, what are your thoughts? And, you know, he just looked at me and said, Leo, you know, you have to take responsibility for your career. Your management might be great. The people you work with might be great, but you're responsible for your career and where you want to be. What is it that you want to do? Right. Okay. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I think this is the right move because of A, B, and C. And one of the things he did warn me about was just, I know he told me when you, when you transition and make jumps like that, you know, there's always this incentive because there's always a salary increase. He told me straight, don't follow the money. Because while the money looks great on paper, you never know what else is there. You never know what the culture is going to be like at the company. You never know if you're going to be fully happy. You might just jump ship, jump that fence and realize that it's not all sunshines and rainbows over there, that you are much better off in this previous position. So make sure you evaluate everything before you start making this career change or any career change that you're going to take later. So for me, it was just a valuable thing to hear somebody telling me that, hey, you make the right decision for yourself, nobody else. And so, okay, I'm taking this from a retired executive who's telling me, do what's best for yourself. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think we, you and I touched, touched on that earlier in the conversation, but it's good to get that reiteration and validation from an executive person, which is higher, more experienced, and they can definitely advocate for that. Um, so you've been you've been with Ship for a while, and and all of a sudden you know you're the beep, you're the president of the South Bay LA chapter. All of a sudden you become the BP at the Region Two level. How did that happen? How did you get into that? And what does that what does that mean now? Uh, uh, <laughs> that's a that's a funny story because you know I was a. When I stepped down as president, you know, I kept helping out. I was attending just volunteering events and different things like that. And then one of the things, you know, now there's a, there's a lot more prof active professional chapters within SHIP. And they've kind of all, at, they asked me to Leo, we want you to step up and take this role. What is this role as regional vice president? As regional vice president, you're helping oversee the chapters in your respective region. In this case, it's Southern California, Arizona, and Las Vegas. So it's not just Los Angeles anymore. It's not just Los Angeles. You're just looking at oh, oh, right, correct. Yeah. So Southern California for Region Two, it's defined as up to Santa Barbara, Ventura, all the way down to San Diego, right. and then um, and then Arizona and Las Vegas. And this right. is all our professional and student chapters. Right. So as a regional vice president, my job is to help the professional chapters and student chapters achieve their success. SHIP has a vision and mission. What can I do to better lead this area of chapters in terms of achieving that vision and mission for themselves and their members? So when I, when I stepped into that role, my idea was to be able to, able to fulfill that role in terms of the help and execution that they need to be able to be successful. Uh, I've been in that uh, position for two years and, and so far so good. 
What's the most memorable moment for you as the BP for the Region 2 ship uh, president, BP, uh, up to this point from those two years that you've held that position? Uh, uh, my most memorable moment would have to be our recent ship national convention in Phoenix, Arizona this past year. Okay. Uh, again, it was in Region 2, so we had a huge Region 2 presence there. And, you know, our national meeting and regional meeting at the convention was just something beyond words. I was able to be on stage for the national meeting okay. in which our first, our ship CEO had said a few words. And then the mayor of Phoenix actually came out and said a wow. few words. Awesome. And then I was able to go on stage after. Okay. And, you know, it was an overwhelming feeling because, you know, you see so many faces there and thousands of people looking there. But everybody's there pumped, excited, because they're ready to execute at this convention, you know. They want to go to these workshops. They want to go talk to these companies. They want to get that offer letter saying, hey, you know, I got hired by this company, that company. You know, it's, it's just a really overwhelming feeling to be able to be able to, to take part in something so big. Right. What, uh, from your point of view, what is the biggest benefit that a person, a student, a young student, uh, or professional, young professional would benefit if they've never heard about SHIP that they should join from your point of view? SHIP is an organization that will help you grow as a professional or leader and take you from point A to point B. And it will be able to do it in a manner that's beneficial to you and then the other person or persons who are helping you get there. You can achieve lots of great things on your own but you can achieve even greater things when you're able to work as a team with other people. I mean, as engineers, you work in a team all the time, you know, individually as an engineer, you can achieve great things, but when you work as a team to achieve greater things, similar into your professional leadership development, there's lots of things that are not taught in a classroom that are not taught in the textbook. They're only learned through experience and the experience of being in a leadership role will help accelerate your career. Fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. And that being said, <clears throat> you know, you, you we all need to to be able to find some sort of inspiration, motivation. So do you have any particular book, movie or podcast that you believe has made an impact in your life that you wish more people would actually take advantage or read? Can you share any of that with us? Oh, absolutely. Um, so there's two books that I always say are my two top books that I always go to. Uh, first one is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay. I think a lot of people have read that, and I think a lot of people are aware of it, but probably haven't read it. Uh, this book just kind of takes you to very seven different traits or seven different, let's say, um, uh, seven different characteristics that you need to have to be able to execute to be highly effective in your life, not just in leadership, not just in engineering, but in life in general. So it just kind of takes you just to why this is important and how to be able to execute it. So the entire book ends up being more of a workbook because you have to be able to put these things into practice. Overall, I think it just helps you be more efficient with your time and it kind of gives you structure in terms of where is it that I want to go because you were able to define that yourself through the exercises in this book. Right. Uh, another right. book that I like is by Dale Carnegie. It's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. It's a book, simply, simply put, how to effectively communicate with others. Communication is 
one of the most important tools you're going to have in your life. Effectively communicating with people will help you in your personal life, in your professional life, communicate well with others. And this will kind of goes almost step by step in terms of giving you a little advice and through experience in terms of how to do something and why this something will be able to help you to communicate effectively with others. Right. And both of these books are not hard reads. They're fairly short and simple. And I mean, I'm a slow reader and I've read both of them. It took me a while to get through both of them. But, you know, if I can do it, a lot of people can definitely do it a lot faster than I can. But, you know, they're, they're simple. They don't use high vocabulary. They use simple uh, but effective ideas. And I urge the audience, as Leo has mentioned, go ahead and, and take a look at them. You can find them in the local library, or if not, you can find uh, in Barnes & Nobles or Amazon or wherever and, and get a copy of those books and definitely make sure that you put some of those uh, skills into use and give it a month and you'll see some change in your life and your habits and, and that'll make your life a little bit easier. So with that being said, um, I want to thank uh, Leo for answering those questions, but I do have two more or three more rather, three more questions that I want to ask. And these are not related to ship nor, nor Boeing or anything like that. These are fun questions. Um, what do you believe your superpower is at this point? Or if you could find a superpower that you could grab and obtain, what do you think that would be and why? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, if I carry my superpower, but you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to pick one and say if I can get it, I would take it. Um, you know, my superpower, I would probably have to go with the route of Batman and just say, I wanna be able to be an extremely intelligent person who is able to utilize things in the most efficient manner possible. That is pretty cool because, you know, he can definitely, he, he's a human being but he's able to utilize his knowledge and his mind and yeah. whatever devices he can find, he can make them work for whatever the situation is. So I think Leo can definitely uh, <laughs> prove that because he's working at Boeing, he's doing satellites and he's definitely supporting the community, which is what Batman actually does. He supports the community as a detective and uh, vigilante, but he takes care of the bad guys. So that's what Leo's trying to do, I think, <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, what do you? What is your definition of success at this point in time? It might change in the future, but right now you've achieved so much. You've come from the East Coast through, you know, community college. You've gone through Rogers. You achieved a mechanical engineering degree. You've managed to move on to the West Coast. You have a job that is high paying and a high executive, you know, reaching ladder of a high executive position now. What is your definition of success at this point? Oh, at this point, success for me is just I am happy with where I am currently at in my life. Okay. I'm not just not just smiling for the sake because there's a picture to be taken. I'm happy with my overall life. I'm happy with my health. I'm happy with my financial well-being. I'm happy with my family and where everybody is in their lives. I'm happy with the circle of friends and family that I have around me. I'm happy with my physical health as well. There you go. Everything seems to be just overall, I'm very positive and feel great about everything in my life. So I am happy right now. And that to me is where I feel I'm successful because a lot of people 
just aren't, aren't quite there or aren't quite there yet. Right. I'm able to sit, stand here to say, yes, like I am happy with where I am now. And that's why I'm, I'm successful. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that definition of success with me and the audience. Definitely appreciate it. One last question. This one's, this one's really fun for me. Uh, if you, you know, you're at your room right now, let's say you open that door and you walk out of your door and you had the opportunity to, once you walk out of that door, you actually not just walk out of the door, but you walk back, back to that Leo in New Jersey, back to that Leo starting community college, back to that person that had not thought of actually pursuing engineering as a degree mechanical engineer, but just getting you know a technical degree to go be a mechanic. What would you share with that young fellow at 18 or 19 years old? Two or three key pieces of advice that you could share with that young Leo. Man, um, I think the first thing I would have done is gone to myself, smack myself in the head and like, hey, get your stuff together sooner, man. <laughs> You know, um, I, I was, again, in the community college time, I was a little bit of clowning around, probably too much than I should have done. Uh, but I would have definitely told myself, hey, get yourself together just a little sooner than later. Because it took me a while, it took me years to find out a lot of different things. And in my mind, how much further could I have been had I learned a lot of this stuff younger? What if I would have gotten myself more serious academically or knew more of what I wanted to pursue earlier on? How much further could I be now? Wow. Um, who knows, but I get to just live for that now. Another thing I would tell myself is get your finances together, all of your finances. Um, and this, this goes in every round, not just right. learn about savings, learn about investments, learn about real estate, learn about taxes. Do the whole thing because, again, they don't teach you this in school anymore or at all. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to learn a lot of these financial things at some point it's better to learn them sooner than later so you can just build accumulate wealth much younger so you definitely finance would be another thing and the final thing is i would tell myself hey start traveling travel now rather than later uh, i didn't get to start traveling until i was a professional because by then i had the financial means to do it but hey if you're a student even if you're able to travel only to washington dc for a conference just go ahead and do it Traveling changes your life every which way, shape, or form. So I would just tell myself, start traveling, start traveling now, start saving so you can travel and just yeah, it, it, you know, traveling does change your perspective of what you see the world being. If you've only Absolutely. lived in an area for for a short period of time and you've never really expanded or gone out of that area, you're only limited to be focused as to that point of view. But if you travel outside, you see different things where people live, think a little differently. You might see even a transit, trans, like the metropolitan buses or the metros or whatever. It's totally different and you see different people utilizing it. So that's something that you can definitely take advantage of. Travel travel if you, if you haven't done so. Go outside of your neighborhood if you can't afford going outside of the city, but you know, go to another area in your city and figure out what people are doing and then venture to another county, which is maybe a, a, a ride away, an hour or so away from your local area and see how people think in that general area. Thank you so much for that advice, Leo.
And with that, thank you so much. Thank you for making the time, Leo. Thank you for the interview to our audience. Once again, this has been an episode with Success Innovation. Leo Soto, Soto from Boeing. He's the VP for the sec Region 2 ship. And I thank everybody for listening, for tuning in, for watching. Once again, Lázaro Herrera. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lázaro. Well, if you're listening to this, you've made it to the end of the episode. With Leo Soto, we dove so deep and we learned so much about him and about what it takes to actually be successful. We learned about the conference, what it actually does, and how to prepare for it, and how you can definitely get so much value off of being in a student organization such as SHIP, Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. We also learn and understand what it is to be in an ERG, Employee Resource Group, or an affinity group within your corporation. We encourage you to continue your path, and once you graduate and get your degree and get a full-time position, don't forget to come back and to support others because when you look back and when you help others, you grow that diversity. Thank you. This has been Lázaro from Success Innovation. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.